Welcome to Dr. Karen Health Talks. Today I'm going to talk about a book that I speak about all the time in my Sugar Buster program. And that book is called Potatoes Not Prozac by Kathleen Demaison. D-E-S-M-A-I-S-O-N-S. My Sugar Buster program is designed to help people get off the sugar roller coaster because guess what? Sugar is an addiction. And one of the reasons I love Kathleen's book is she comes from an addiction counseling background and actually a personal background in her own life. And she talks about the science of this sugar sensitivity that she calls. And let's just call that sugar sensitivity for now since I'm speaking about her book. And she talks about sugar acting like an opioid drug, such as morphine or heroin, on the brain. And she came to this conclusion after studying the brains of alcoholics, actually, and knowing that the brains of alcoholics are different than other brains. And when people are recovering from alcoholism, they often switch addictions. And one of those addictions they switch to is sugar, because it works on a similar part of the brain. And this sugar sensitivity is an inherited biochemical condition. And so the most important thing Kathleen wants us to know is that this is not about willpower. It's not about just saying no. Now, with that said, just like in any addiction, some people can go what we call cold turkey, which is they do just say no. But my experience personally of working with many, many people with sugar addiction is we need to rewire the brain. And rewiring the brain means rewiring the neurotransmitters because this biochemical condition is real and it has predictable and specific effects on the brain and a person's behavior. We often call it the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome and there's a lot of shame involved in sugar sensitivity because sugar is everywhere and it's not like you can just abstain completely from sugar because it's in everything and our brains, and I say our because I am a recovering sugar addict, I have one of those brains and so I have to be ever vigilant about reading labels and reading carbohydrate content and understanding how my brain and body reacts to specific kinds of sugar. And that's the other thing. I noticed that certain things like uh, white rice, which I never eat anymore, has a very quick effect on my sugar sensitivity or bread <laughs> or bread or for me uh, black licorice because that is my sugar choice <laughs> those of you listening you either love black licorice or it's like ooh. so uh, for those uh, black licorice lovers out there I get you I love it it is my drug of choice <laughs> so the other thing to know about uh, sugar is it has pain killing and euphoria stimulating effects on the body so it does work like an opioid drug, as I mentioned, and and these effects are heightened in people who, whose brains are sugar sensitive. So sugar addiction, like drug addiction, folks, is real, and it can open the gate to other addictions. So the way I work with people in the Sugar Buster program is change what sugar sensitive people eat and when they eat, and this has profound effects on your well-being and your behavior. 
Now, how do you know if you are sugar sensitive? Well, you probably know. <laughs> um, Dr. Desmaison, Kathleen Desmaison, has a great checklist in her book, Potatoes Not Prozac, which I have printed with her permission in my book, Is Your Lifestyle Killing You? And she also has this amazing story that she writes, and it's kind of like an informal way to diagnose sugar sensitivity. And if someone comes in saying, oh, they're so addicted to sugar, I can ask them this simple question. So here it is. Imagine you come home and you go into the kitchen. A plate of warm chocolate chip cookies just came out of the oven and sits on the counter. And the smell of those chocolate chip cookies hits you as you walk in. But you're not hungry. No one else is around. What would you do? Uh, does this question make you smile? You may think the, the answer is obvious, but people who are not sugar sensitive respond to saying, well, I'll go and uh, get uh, dressed and uh, I'll wait to have the cookie after dinner perhaps. Or I'll go and check my emails or um, I'll just go out in the garden for a while. And some will stop and think about whether they could eat some cookies, but others will say with no emotional charge, well, I might have one. People who are not sugar sensitive do not have an emotional response to even the idea of smelling fresh chocolate chip cookies. It's like a, not a big deal. So they are obviously not sugar sensitive, but people who are sugar sensitive laugh at the cookie question. Their bodies are already responding to the very idea of the cookies. They can inhale the cookie, and probably more than one, of course. Can't just stop at one. They might eat the whole plateful of cookies. And what triggers that desire is the smell of the cookie, the anticipation of how the cookies will feel in their mouth, and the, the warmth and sweetness, because remember, they just came out of the oven, and the melted chocolate. Even the feeling of having a cookie in their hand will have a powerful association. Basically, these cookies mean love. They mean comfort. They mean friends. And people who are not sugar sensitivity think this is really strange. What are you talking about? So, you know who you are. Whatever response you have to that cookie question, then you can kind of tell your relationship to sugar. So the other thing Kathleen has that I really like is her sugar sensitivity questionnaire, which I use every time and I read every time I have a sugar buster group going because I want people to just reflect and understand their own bodies and be empowered to know what their bodies are really doing. And you can get all kinds of cues to your sugar sensitivity, such as the, the size of the bag you carried away around at Halloween, right? And uh, just Halloween generally, do you have to have one of those uh, chocolates or what's your favorite Halloween candy or how attached are you to that? And since I have been recovered from my sugar sensitivity, I use Halloween as my test to see how I'm doing. We do not need Halloween candy, folks. 
do not. And when I get through Halloween without any candy, I might go and do some extra exercise or I might play with my puppies for a little longer so that I fill up my pleasure centers in other ways. But that's how I know that I'm in balance. And again, if you're not sugar sensitive, you're probably like, what? You can have a piece of Halloween candy, not a big deal. But for those of us that are sugar sensitive, one piece of candy can lead to many, many more. And then we have remorse and guilt and shame and off we go again in our relapse. So, and it really is the language of addiction. So she has this great questionnaire and the more yeses you answer to these questions, the more likely you are to be sugar sensitive. So let's have a look at some of the questions. One, I really like sweet foods. Now, a normal person doesn't sit through dinner thinking about dessert. A normal person doesn't feel more confident and powerful after eating sweet things. But someone with sugar addiction loves sweet foods. And to this question, sugar-sensitive people usually respond to eating sugar in a way that is more pronounced than other people. So whatever that sweet food is, that's their favorite food. Number two, I eat a lot of sweets. Sugar-sensitive people really are likely to eat a lot of sweets. Even though you feel you shouldn't, there's that word, shouldn't, you may eat candy or cookies or ice cream. Dessert may be the most important part of your meal. And you may fast from sweet things during the day and then binge at night. So sweet foods are absolutely, they're sugar sensitive food of choice. Now, here's some of the things that sugar sensitive do, people do cleverly. So you might give up your Coke or your sodas, but you switch to fruit juice. And I'm here to tell you, fruit juice is like candy. It is liquid sugar. Uh, you might have a glass of wine with dinner as a treat for how much uh, you missed the sweet things during the day. And guess what? That sweet wine, uh-huh, sweet foods. Let's have a look at the third question. I am very fond of bread, cereal, popcorn, or pasta. People don't think this is sweet, this is sugar, but it is. Your body probably responds to foods made with white flour as if they were sugar. You may find you feel good soon after eating them, but then terrible afterwards. You may love bread. Cereal may be a staple for you. Get rid of the cereal in your cupboards. So what you can do is rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 on your attachment to any of these foods. Bread, cereal, popcorn, pasta. I've actually removed all these foods from my diet. So I would say that I have a zero attachment to these foods. But I've had to get to that place because I know about my sugar sensitivity. I hope it helps you to know that I'm on this journey right here, right here with you. The next one. I now have or once had a problem with alcohol or drugs. So why are we asking this question? If you used to use alcohol or drugs in an addictive way at some time in your life, it's likely that you have a body chemistry that responds more intensely to alcohol and drugs than other people. And so that means, I'm sorry to say, that your attachment to sugar sets you up biochemically for being addictive to other things. So 
you really can switch addictions. The next one, one or both of my parents are or were alcoholic. So you can inherit other aspects of sugar sensitivity, just like you can inherit other aspects of alcohol or drug addiction. If your parents drank to excess, uh, you may have inherited a specific type of brain chemical response to alcohol. So uh, a lot of people uh, really are awakened by this question because a combination of an alcoholic father and, say, a sugar-sensitive mother maximizes the chance that you were born with a sugar-sensitive body. And again, let me remind you, this is about biochemistry. It's not about willpower. It's not your fault. The reason I'm bringing all this up is to empower you with education and awareness about your specific biochemistry. The next question, one or both of my parents are or were especially fond of sugar. So guess what? People who are sugar sensitive often grow up in houses where sweets abound. My mom loved the little vanilla slices, we call them, in Australia. Oh my gosh, they were so amazing. Custard in the middle and yellow sweet icing on the top and this very fine pastry. Because <laughs> in Australia, we had cake shops everywhere. That's what we called them. And they made the most divine slices and cakes. And, and to this day, I still notice that when I go back to Australia, how abundant the um, sweet desserts stores are. Um, maybe you like ice cream or maybe you like, like I like, <laughs> tell you all the things I like. I don't necessarily eat them now, but I know I still love them because my brain still loves them. I just don't give my brain a chance to, to indulge in them. And that is, um, yogurt, soft yogurt, iced yogurt. Oh my gosh. Frozen yogurt. Yes. I'm not a big chocolate chip cookie lover, but boy, frozen yogurt, oh yeah, and I know that is sugar. So the next question, I'm overweight and don't seem to be able to easily lose the extra pounds. Hello, sugar is fattening and nobody tells us. We come from this fat-free movement where everything, everyone thinks it's about fat-free foods, but it's sugar that has been loading on the pounds, and I was able to release 10 pounds when I realized this, that it is the insulin spikes from all the hidden sugars. It's amazing. The yo-yo syndrome. So the next one, I continue to be depressed no matter what I do. So it's so interesting. We've talked about neurotransmitters. So sugar-sensitive people are often... Uh, miserable in winter because seasonal affective disorder is about low serotonin and often we are using sugar to increase our serotonin and we self-medicate by eating sweet foods since sweets are some of the few things that make you feel better even though it's temporary you may be taking an antidepressant but you still have symptoms of depression and the good news is we can really help with that now I'm not saying go off your antidepressant but I'm saying Eating the right foods at the right time can do amazing things for your mood, your energy, your weight, your sugar sensitivity, feeling like you've gained back control in your life. So there are more questions, but I'm going to leave it at that because I'm just throwing this out for you to get 
in just empowered with this information. And if you're interested in joining my Sugar Buster program, it really is an amazing program. And you can just go to drkarenwolf.org forward slash sugarbusters and you will see under my programs that I have the five-day sugar cleanse where people really get a chance to awaken to what it feels like in your body to have no cravings and then to want to live like that long term and to learn how to eat and choose foods and eat great things. I eat fabulous things. I just don't eat bread and rice and pasta and popcorn and cereal. But I eat a lot of really good, real food. So I hope you'll join me on a Sugar Buster journey or perhaps you have someone that's struggling with this and you can share this podcast and help them because this is a silent addiction. People are not talking about it. And we have sugar everywhere. Come on, it's just everywhere. It's crazy. But there is help and there is a way out. And I hope that you'll share this with someone that you love and help them with the way out. So this is Dr. Karen Wolf, and you've listened to Dr. Karen Health Talks. And thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again. Bye for now.